Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual neurolinguistic programming and cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one sessions in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV Therapy and Coaching Services at 301-325-1550, and our website can be found at lifecoachdenamzalag.com. Today, I'm very excited to have for our eighth episode of season 18, a very special guest, a nurse practitioner, as well as medical intuitive and energy whisperer, Dr. Dolores Fazzino. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Dolores, the floor is yours. Well, thanks, Dr. Dan. I solely appreciate the opportunity to talk to your audience. Um, And I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Dr. Dolores Fazzino. I'm a nurse practitioner, medical intuitive and energy whisperer. I've been in the healthcare industry for well over 45 years. And I bridge the spiritual with the physical and the invisible with the visible. And I work one-on-one with patients, um, working through any type of lifetime challenges that they may encounter, because we all kind of hit our wall every so often and uh, reach that point where what's next? And you really don't know. You don't have a reference point. So I help people maneuver through that, um, as well as, you know, a little a little part of my career as I've been in the surgery realm for the last 36 years as an independent contractor, self-employed assistant in surgery. And so I've assisted on over 20,000 surgical procedures. So I get to see what happens behind the scenes. And what I mean behind the scenes, more in the quantum field versus what we could see physically when I'm in um, a surgical arena. So there's more happening behind the scenes that a lot of people aren't privy to, but I am. And so um, I assist people in that dimension with their health and wellness as well. I also help people who are uh, maneuvering through uh, chronic diseases, say they have a cancer or they are, um, you know, going through surgery for some procedure because surgery is the tip of the iceberg of what really happens. Um, underneath the iceberg is all our thoughts, beliefs, whether or not we dealt with our emotions, you know, any type of stressors that we've had, whether or not we're connected to our higher self and all that kind of comes into play before a physical thing is created, believe it or not. So a lot of times in our physical world and what I found in Western medicine, they're very good at looking at the physical, but they don't address the underlying issues that created the problem. And that's where I step in and I, with my um, gifts and talents, I'm able to guide people into the directions that they need to go to so that they could have um, true health and lasting wellness. Too often when we cut something out in surgery, mm-hmm you know what, sometimes there's a recurrence, like, you know, a year, two years, three years later. And sometimes it's because we never looked at what was really going on underneath the hood, so to say. Um, Because, you know, that is what drives everything. And, you know, cutting something out doesn't make it go away, because everything's energy. And the lingering things that created that just find another place to create something else. (laughs) 
because it hasn't been addressed. So long story short, that's what I do. Those are my gifts and my talents. And um, I like to help people heal in ways they never thought possible because our world, there's so much going on right now. And we're going through massive paradigm shifts in every arena you could imagine, healthcare, particularly because, and that's my little niche, but you know, every place else in the world, everything's going, you know, it's almost uh, disintegrating so it could rise from the ashes and create something different. So I find that we're in very exciting times, even though it looks very chaotic on the outside, this is a good thing because out of that, amazing things are gonna happen as we progress into the future. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here, uh, Doctor. And uh, I think we're going to jump directly into the, the format of uh, question and answer and figuring out, first of all, when it comes to interacting with uh, patients, especially post-surgery, um, we all know that doctors have what we call no bedside manner, especially when <laughs> they divulge the diagnosis, etc. Um, do you come into the the interaction with the patient in terms of like calming them down prior to the surgery and making them feel comfortable or what exactly as a nurse practitioner, was that most of your job beside being in the room, in the operating room, but helping them cope with the, the risk of them not making it through? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because I really had not done a lot of uh, pre-op or post-op. I was just in the surgery arena as the assistant surgeon. So, but through my um, entrepreneurial um, tendencies, I thought I saw a need for something that wasn't being addressed. And that's where I've kind of established my one-on-one -on -one coaching for those people. Um, and you know what, it's not for everybody because it's people who are, awake enough to realize that um, there's more going on and maybe, you know, they've had a wake up call and what they had been doing had not been working in the, had been working up to that point and now it's not. Um, and this is, you know, those are the people that I usually seem to draw that, you know, are ready to make some changes and do some shifting and look at things from a different perspective than what we've been trained Western medicine wise. Now, in your 45 years experience, um, I'm sure that being in the operating room, you have seen everything. <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of them were mistakes that were trying to be shoved under the rug, etc. Um, do you feel that doctors or surgeons are taking responsibility for their action, especially in this uh, industry? Or do you feel that you have to get the, the hospital to protect them if anything's Well, you know what? It Every industry has their outliers, okay, where there's there's issues. And healthcare is not any different. Um, I've been very blessed and fortunate that many of the people that I surround myself with, that I work with, because I could choose pretty much, I align with the people that I'm aligned with. So um, usually, you know, the people that I work with or have been drawn to me are of a higher caliber where I haven't really, you know, they take ownership and responsibility and they're very, very good at what they do. Okay. I feel very, I feel very safe and grounded when I'm working with the majority of them. And that reflects over energetically to the patient and the patient well-being in that OR suite. Because remember, everything's energy. Yes. Who you are, you show up everywhere you go, here you are. So 
if you are um, have good integrity, good morals, good values, good energy, so to say, that carries, that goes with you. And you, no words have to be said sometimes, but it's a ripple effect. Patients feel that. There could be a language barrier, but it's a feel thing. And you know that because you speak several languages and it's just like, it's all feel, you know, you could tell what's going on with somebody without sharing the language. It's the energy and the feel. So, you know, yeah. Well, now you're talking about energy and this is something that I was always very passionate about, especially in cases of NDE, um, near death experiences and mm -hmm. all. Um, do you feel that consciousness after a certain period of time, let's say someone physically passes away on the table and then yeah. they come back um do you feel that there's a time frame because i'm not sure exactly how long i mean I'll, they say that more than 10 minutes if the the brain doesn't have oxygen they become vegetable so have you experienced people sharing with you that specific moment that they faced when they were in the near death experience you know that's an interesting thing too because i know um, indirectly, I've heard things. I haven't experienced it directly with with clients. And you're absolutely right. There's scientific proof that, you know, if you're, you know, without circulation or, you know, a heartbeat or whatever for, you know, at least 10 minutes. But that, I mean, strange things happen all the time. You know, I think that, um, you know, we look at things in our earth realm as black and white but there's all these shades of gray all the time. So you can't make a judgment call on that because, you know, there are times maybe that people, you know, we resuscitate them for, you know, a long period of time and they're, they wake up and they're okay. You know, so, you know, you just don't know because I think there's kind of more going on. First of all, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to step out of the Western medicine thing and go into more of the spiritual thing. It's just like, if a person's time is up, it's up, you know, if it's, you know, and, and maybe their time isn't up and they need to come back to do more work or their, their mission isn't complete. So whatever that is, we aren't privy to that. You know, that's just between that individual and their higher essence and, and, you know, God spark or whoever you believe in, if you believe in anything, um, so, I mean, there's more mystery there than congruent and concrete black and white thing things. And so, and I think we, you know, a, as time evolves, we'll probably be privy to more and more of that because we're raising our frequency and vibration and, and higher vibrative states can tap and access that information more so than lower vibrating states, you know, no, so nurse practitioner, or even as a surgeon, uh, Dolores, um, do you feel that the, being in a hospital environment, um, there's a lot of like ethics involved when it comes to uh, patients signing DNR, and at the same time, if they were not mentally able to, to make a decision of that sort, how or where does a doctor falls in when it comes to respecting the do not resuscitate versus, oh no, they had some mental illness, we should not listen to them and we should resuscitate them after they passes away. Gosh, darn it, that's a tough question, Dan. <laughs> I really don't have any, I don't have a reference point for that. So I honestly can't answer that for you. Um, I know that usually a DNR is like a legally binding thing with the exception if they go into surgery for something that is, you know, curable, 
Oh. I know there's that thread of that as well. So just for an for an example, like um, a person breaks their hip and goes in for a total hip or something like that, but they have a DNR thing. Usually I think they will fix the hip, you know, because it's, you know, that, but, you know, if anything, was there complications because of that? I'm not really sure how that would be addressed because I'm not really involved with that at all. So that's my honest answer. Okay. Well, that's, that's honest enough. I mean, obviously there's a lot of intricacies behind all of that. And Oh uh, my God. Yeah. It's just like, it's never black and white. There's ever. so many shades of gray, you know, and I think if we look at life in particular, that there's all these possibilities, there's infinite possibilities. So, you know, it's just something that, you know, you just have to, um, take a step within yourself and feel what's aligned. It's like trusting your instincts on that and your inner wisdom because but, yeah, you know, and I, you, you and I probably agree on this. It all comes down to that, right. you know, trust your gut, they say, <laughs> right. Do you think as a, as in a pre-op environment, do they train the nurses to be able to be therapists, to be able to kind of like help the patient and calm them down or discuss about Oh, absolutely. A absolutely. That's part of like, you know, being a nurse and stuff like that. And, you know, just, you know, having that um, compassion and being able to lean in and listen and, and making sure that your patients, you know, being heard. Um, and, you know, you know what that's like when any conversation was like when a person is fully present, mm -hmm. Um, do pre-op intake, the nurses who prepare patients for surgery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I believe, you know, I know that nurse, the nurses like prepare patients for surgery because they have pre-op appointments and they kind of go over everything and explain everything. And sometimes this is where, you know, you could gather some extra data, you know, from, you know, the nurses intuitive wisdom, basically, you know, what's happening and, and, what's going on. And, you know, that's just part of the way nurses are trained. They're supposed to gather information and, and you know, be compassionate and empathetic. And yeah, I guess there's some bad connection with the internet here. So I'm not sure exactly what is going on either on your side or my side. Um, but yeah, so my question to you, uh, Dolores, um, do you feel like because of um, you know, I think we froze up again. Yes, I think we did freeze up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly if I'm on my side or your side, but uh, uh, I think they yeah. did most of it. But here's my question. You mentioned about being compassionate, but do you feel as well that being compassionate also create some sort of attachment with the patient? And then if anything happens, either they're being diagnosed with stage four cancer, whatever it is, or even passes away, the, the nurse will feel all the impact with patient after patient and all that, that can really take a toll in their psyche. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? That's part of being human. <laughs> Why, you know, I look at it from this perspective. That's a part of who I am. And why would I want to compartmentalize that? True. You know, I, I, I feel that it's important to be authentic and genuine. And if I'm going to feel that and experience that, by all means, yes. But, you know, the other thing I want to add to that too is that, you know, a lot of times we get triggered by things, okay? And taking that a step further, we get triggered. But, you know, instead of reacting and trying to control it and playing whack-a-mole at the fair with the things, you know, things popping up, it's just like I invite people to 
step back and just take a deep breath and just ask, why is this, why am I being triggered? What is it bringing up in me? Because that tip of the iceberg is something way deeper that's in there. And it's probably a matrix of how to get down there because the two things don't look like related. And I'm going to share something with you that happened to me recently. I lost a colleague about a month ago to um, suicide. And um, I wasn't close to him. I really didn't know him. I knew of him, but that just hit me to my core. In fact, I was heartbroken and I couldn't understand why that was so until I really sat with it and I went a little deeper and it brought me flashbacks to a time when I was four and that was over 60 years ago, okay? That my father was going through... um, our great grand, my great grandmother, his grandmother passed away. And he said to, you know, he was holding me and he said, you know, um, little Nani passed away and I started bawling like a baby. And I didn't know at the time that he just couldn't handle me crying. So he basically said, you got to stop crying. And he said, are you going to cry when I die? I mean, who says that to a four-year-old kid? Well, I took that on as something that has been running my life for 60 years. And I finally got to witness it as an adult going back there that I could see how pain, how disturbed my father was because he was in his grief that he was probably going to lose it if I started crying. Oh, okay. And okay. But, but this- so what I'm saying is that I was able to heal something for myself because I, I partially grieved that incident. I finally got to go back 60 years later and grieve and grieve fully. But how did it resurface after 60 years, Dolores? I mean, did you... What's hold, that? How did it resurface after 60 years? It, I mean, resurf- it resurfaced because when I sat with what I was feeling with what had happened, I got flashbacks from that that time in okay. my mind. So I knew there was something I had to go there and look at. But this is what I'm saying is that people don't understand or realize the gifts of every situation that you're in. You know, it's not about keeping it professional and putting it in a nice little box and package and put it on the shelf. Guess what, folks? It's energy. It's all interconnected. If there's healing that needs to happen for a person individually, that might be you, the practitioner. I invite you to go there and look at it because it will really, you know, heal something very deep. And it's a ripple effect that goes that's timeless. It goes through, you know, dimensions, timelines, whatever. And it allows people to heal. So you could show up better for the next person that comes into your space. And that person in particular, even though you were not close to them, you still felt the full impact? Oh, my God. Yeah, I felt it. I was heartbroken. Heartbroken. Wow. You know? So the thing is, it's like, look how you're responding to something. Because there was, that was a, I call it hidden grief. (laughs) Because it was hidden for 60 years. I mean, you know, what can I say? You know, it was very liberating and very healing. So what, okay, so I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are asking the question, what is an energy whisper? I know we have a whisper, we have a- Yeah, energy whisper, if, if energy was a foreign language, I'm very fluent in reading it, be okay. it- be it, um, you know, because energy's waves, you know, our physicality is a very dense form of energy, but, and our thoughts, beliefs, our, you know, our emotions, whether or not they're trapped or not, are just wavelengths. Mm-hmm. Those are the things we can't, some people can't tangibly see, I can. 
it's a feel thing for me. So it's just like I could, I feel how I read energy as if it's a, if it's my um, primary language. If that's, yeah. What so, was that? When did you know that you had that gift to be able to read? I mean, reading energy, is it reading people's personality at the same it's time? Just, it's just intuitively reading them. It's just, you know, connecting with the, the wavelength and, you know, and the energy it's all energy you could tap into a plan in the room and know what that plan is kind of experiencing you know seriously you know or you tap into an animal you kind of know what's what's kind of happening i mean that's what it's like for me and yes i've been able to do that ever since i was a child so it's i kind of came into this world that way wired a little differently so do you feel that because of that gift you were able to go into the medical field or that was completely different and you just oh it was completely different because i was on a um a career trajectory to become a concert clarinetist and in the 11th hour i changed my <laughs> field of study after i witnessed my father's miraculous healing from a chronic health condition that he had for almost 10 years with an alternative practitioner so um you know long story short in, I grew up in a household where um, we weren't allowed to feel. And so when you say that to somebody who's an empath, intuitive, and highly sensitive person, my mom's MO was ignore it, it'll go away. Guess what? When you ignore it, when you're like me, it gets bigger <laughs> because it wants your attention. So um, I channeled all my energy and my emotion into music. Oh. And with that, um, I really excelled at that because you know, not being able to feel is, you know, it wasn't how I was wired. So long story short, my dad had um, back surgery in the 1960s and ended up getting a hospital acquired infection, which back in the 1960s um, was pretty much a death sentence because they didn't have the technology or the antibiotics or the medications to help that. And all the product uh you know, the protocols and stuff like that that they do. And my dad, you know, was really sick. Every time his immune system got compromised, he was deadly sick in the hospital for two months at a time. And, you know, this happened almost on an annual basis. And then by 1975, the uh, CAT scanner got introduced to modern medicine, the first actually real piece of uh, diagnostic technology. And when they put my father underneath the uh, machine, they they saw where his issue was coming from and it was where he had his previous back surgery. And so they said that he was going to have to have um, a spinal fusion, which at that time in, um, in the mid 1970s was in its neophyte stages of development. So it came with high risks of either being paralyzed, you'll be dead or, you know, you might get better. And so my mom was having nothing to do with that. So she started exploring alternative possibilities. And of course, this is the 1970s. We don't have WebMD or anything of that that thing or Google MD or whatever. We had the National Enquirer. <laughs> this is where a lot of people got their information. Wow. I kid you not. It's the truth. And so um, he, she came across an article in the National Enquirer of this uh, minister from Carroll, Michigan, um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Alex Holmes, who was a Presbyterian minister who had the gift of laying on of hands, and he was being um, 
written about as a feature article because he had the ability to assist his brother from healing from leukemia. And, and this was in 1975. Uh, Reverend Holmes had been doing this work probably 25 years prior to that since the 1950s. But of course, at the same time, this was considered quackery in yeah. Western medicine. And um, so, you know, the, the story goes is like my dad was very skeptical about doing this and he only wanted to do it if the surgeon gave his blessing. So it just so happened that my parents were in the hospital at the time because they were, you know, the loom, the gloom and doom of what was to happen was was, you know, on the horizon. And so my mom went to the nurse's station and there was a surgeon and she talked to the surgeon and said, you know, my husband, I'm thinking about having a spiritual healer come in to assist my husband. Would that be okay? Surgeon was writing in the chart, looked up at her and said, sure, that's fine. So that was the blessing that my mom was able to get from my dad, share that information. My dad was all over it. Not Dan, not 10 minutes went by. My mom went back out to that nurse's station, same doctor sitting there. And she announced to the doctor, my husband agreed to have the spiritual healer come in. And the doctor stopped what he was doing and looked up and said, what are you talking about? I never agreed to that. Oh. So my mom didn't share that piece of information no, with no, the no, father. No, okay. and, and a month later, Reverend Holmes was in our humble house in Connecticut. My mom flew him in from Michigan. And my two grandmothers were there and, and my uh, two sisters and brother and my parents. Okay. And um, I was a junior in high school at the time. And Reverend Holmes knew somehow that my dad had one leg that was shorter than the other. And um, when he put a book, when my dad was sitting down, he put had my dad raise his leg. When he put the, a book there, um, you could tell that there was a one inch gap. Okay. And um, my cat's helping me out here. How about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> she's like pressing buttons like she does. <laughs> Um, and there was a one inch gap. So he had my father put his feet down. And I don't know how he knew that my dad had a leg length discrepancy because my dad was barefoot and he didn't have any of his shoes that had a lift and whatever. Oh. But he said some prayers over my father, touched his belly, his solar plexus and the top of his head, his crown chakra. And then maybe three minutes went by and he said, raise both your feet. And they were both the same length. So in that moment, my life changed forever. I knew that this was my initiation and it was like, it was my job in, in this lifetime to go into healthcare, to bridge the gap between the physical and the spiritual and um, the visible with the invisible. And so my father, remember, he's the biggest skeptic. He needed to witness that something was actually happening. So he was sobbing like a baby. And what had happened was more prayers were said to him uh, and went he went to bed and then he slept for well over 24 hours because when you work on your energy field, a lot of things are open and you need to like, um, it's like a computer getting an upgrade. You have to reboot it. So he was rebooting himself. He went back a month later, had a repeat CAT scan. Never saw They never found anything wrong on that CAT scan. Never had to have the surgery. Never had to revisit those problems. And he passed away about, um, it's almost his anniversary, 12 years ago um, at the age of 80. Oh, wow. That is unbelievable. So are you now in your coaching program? Are you doing alternative medicine? Oh, that's all I really do. It's all in, you know, it's all pretty much that. 
well, in, combine, in combining with, you know, Western medicine, because everything's important. And it's like the one plus one equals three theory. Mm -hmm. When you start combining things together, they're good by themselves, but they're very synergistic when they're put together for a person. And that varies from person to person. You can't plug in the same thing for each person because everybody's so uniquely different. It has to be customized. Absolutely. So what yeah. should tell listeners? before we end this podcast about what can they find you if they're considering a holistic approach to healthcare? Yes. Um, they could reach out to me. Um, I, uh, you, they could text me at, um, seven, six, zero five, seven, nine, two, four, four, zero. I'm in the San Diego area, but I take, uh, I take calls virtually and I help people all over the world. And they're also welcome to go to my website. It's drdolorisfazino.com. There is a um, guided meditation for um, being in the present moment. And I feel that that's so important right now because so many people are in their heads trying to figure things out and they're got the monkey brain. So this helps you stay grounded in your body. And when you're in your body, you're in the present moment. Beautiful. Well, doc, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you, you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. And I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 18 of the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. Consider exploring alternative medicine as it provides a holistic approach to healthcare. It focuses on addressing the root cause of ailments, offer personalized care, and can complement conventional medicine. Alternative practices also emphasize prevention, cultural diversity, and the mind-body connection. Patient-centered care, natural remedies, and non-invasive therapies are part of its, its appeal. It is a unique path to well-being that respects individuality and can enhance your overall approach to healing. My name is Dr. Dan Amzaleg, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.